Hi everyone, I'm Sofia, the founder of Vona and a host of this podcast, Vona Talks. Vona is a consultancy and education platform with a focus on climate, gender, security and intersection between them. In this podcast, we bring unique and underrepresented as well as more known voices of diverse experts, activists and storytellers. Hi everyone, welcome back to Vona Talks. Today we're having an unusual episode as I have two guests with me instead of one that it usually happens and that I met during my recent trip across the Atlantic from Europe. So with me today I have Teresa Eder, Program Director for Foreign and Security Policy at Heinrich Boll Foundation and Mareke Moral, an Energy and Environmental Program Director at Heinrich Boll Foundation. Welcome both and um, Can you maybe introduce yourselves a bit more than the fancy titles that I just named? Teresa, do you want to go first? Sure, sure. Yeah, um, I'm Teresa and um, Sofia just mentioned I'm heading the Foreign and Security Policy Program at Berlin in Washington, D.C. Um, and I've been in Washington, D.C. since 2015 in other roles, mainly as a journalist and um, heading this program now for one and a half years and we're going into the next Super election year 2024. Um, so there is lots of things coming up for us. Mariki? Yeah, thank you so much for having us. This is really great. So I am Mareike, um, Teresa's colleague. I had the Energy and Environment Program uh, also in Washington, D.C. Um, and I joined at the beginning of this year in which um, especially environment and trade and that connection became a super hot topic. So I feel like I've been learning a lot there, but also infusing it with um, my interests of environmental justice and um, youth activism. So I'm I'm super excited to see what the next super election year will bring. Thank you. And I see you already both mentioning the elections, but I feel like before we get into, into the content and to the hard politics of it, despite the fact that you both work for the same organization, I assume you have very different backgrounds. And I want to hear about that first. So where do you come from? What's your story? What brought you to where you work? And neither of you is American, actually. So what brought you to D.C., actually? Um, yeah, so for me, I think it's a it's a pretty long story, but um, I originally studied journalism and political science in Vienna. So I'm from Austria, Vienna originally, and uh, worked as a journalist for the liberal newspaper The Standard for a while, mostly on foreign policy. And this was from 2008 to 2014. And I sort of always observed foreign policy from the outside um, as a journalist, but I felt the need to really get more engaged and shape policy as much as possible these days. Um, and so one of the reasons why I came to the U.S. was actually to sort of pivot away from my career as a journalist. And that's why I went to Georgetown University and got a master's degree in international affairs. And... Um, The reason why I'm still here, I actually intended to go back to Europe after that, um, is my husband, who's American. Um, so I ended up staying um, and kept working as a journalist for a while uh, for German public television, um, for ARD and CDF here. 
and then sort of slow, slowly transitioned out um, into more of the policy space, worked at the Wilson Center, another think tank here in D.C., in the Global Europe program, and then also, um, I think, one and a half years later than I started here at Böll. And for me, I think this has been sort of a long, long road, I guess. Um, didn't happen in 2015 or tw 2017 when I wanted to really, you know, start in the transatlantic space. Um, but I'm really happy that I'm finally where I want to be. And um, I think one thing that came, became clear to me over the years um, working in different jobs for different organizations was how important it actually is for me personally to have a job that is aligned with my values. And in that sense, this is sort of a great place for me to be because I really can work on the issues that matter most to me. And um, yeah, it's just a very um, exciting thing to do that and to be able to do that. And it's not um, actually that easy to find these jobs, it, even in DC, where there are you know, a lot of policy related jobs, but I felt um, myself gravitating towards the Bell Foundation also because I still very much am you know, interested and concerned also about what's going on in Europe and um, sort of trying to um, bridge that um, transatlantic divide, if you will, or gap or the, the huge ocean and sort of um, bringing my own background as a European here um, to DC. And so that's why I am where I am right now. Thank you. What about you, Marike? Yeah, that's a tough act to follow, I feel. Um, so, um, yeah, just maybe like as a little bit of background, I am... Um, from the Netherlands. Uh, my mom is German-American, so there is a little bit of a family connection to the U.S., um, but initially I hadn't necessarily planned on uh, moving to the U.S. Uh, per se. I started out um, studying at a small liberal arts and science college in Maastricht. Um, it was known to kind of like the outside world as a tree-hugging hippie kind of college. So I think I started pretty well there. And what I loved so much about studying there, and I think that really informed my um, professional journey after as well, is that it was very interdisciplinary. Um, so it really expressly started from the point of looking at issues from disciplinary or topic silo only security or only climate or only gender just doesn't get to the core of the issue. They're all interconnected. Um, and so after that, um, I went on to do a master's in energy and climate law um, and noticed that exact problem there. It was very law focused and it was very, um, it, it, it didn't yeah, look at the, the power structures behind it. It didn't look at societal implications, distributive kind of yeah, implications either. Um, and so after that, I started doing um, research in a PhD program jointly with this law faculty, but also with the philosophy faculty, looking much more at the uh, ethics and the climate justice implement, um, implications of um, carbon pricing at the time, but generally um, global climate policy. Um, I enjoyed that a lot more, but still felt like I was very removed from the actual policy practice, from actually being, being able to um, be somewhat close to policy practice or, or yeah, be able to, to be in a different discourse than just the, the, the kind of still siloed academic one. And so um, 
through um, a teaching job, but then um, moving into the policy space more, I ended up back at the Heinrich Böll Foundation. I'd worked briefly with them in 2019, and same as Teresa, really um, remembered them as a very value oriented and value driven uh, organization, which um, similar to my undergrad program really looks at issues in a very interconnected way. Um, in Germany, maybe outside of Germany as well, they call it kind of poly crises, um, where you really see they're all interconnected and, and interlinked. And um, yeah, I felt like this is the first place where I can really explore um, these link linkages from a very um, yeah normative or value-driven background and I really enjoy that awesome I love that both of you kind of speak about values and how it is important for you and then how much those are important for the Heinrich Boll Foundation um, I would actually want to ask you what are those values and maybe explaining as well what is Heinrich Boll Foundation and then for those who already know what it is in the U.S. because I feel like being an a European organization across the Atlantic also means something different than what we have here in Brussels or in general in Europe. And maybe also connected to what type of projects you both work on and yeah, what, what are you doing in the US? That's a super fair question. So maybe I can start and then Teresa, you can, uh, you can jump in. The Heinrich Böll Foundation is one of Germany's political foundations. So after um, the Second World War, uh, to strengthen civil society, um, the German uh, parliament decided that every political party that's been in Congress or in parliament for, for two terms um, gets funding for a uh, aligned but independent uh, political foundation that works from their value basis. And so the Heinrich Bell Foundation is aligned with the German Greens. This means that um, gender democracy, intersectionality essentially, and a very human rights-driven approach inform all of our work. Um, and so uh, we have about uh, 40, I think, offices worldwide. And then our office in D.C. is one of the larger ones, which is really meant as a um, um, as a yeah, transatlantic communication bureau. So where we um, enable transatlantic exchange ideas to flow back and forth. Um, in some other countries, we work much closer with uh, civil society and giving them a platform. Here it is also about explaining policy that is going on here in the U.S. to a German and European audience and the other way around, explaining what's going on in Germany and Europe to a U.S. audience. And in that way, seeing if we can share best policy practices, highlight those that from a green standpoint, we find really important. Um, Teresa, uh, maybe you want to jump in here? Sure. Yeah, I think one thing that I would add, but I mean, you covered most of it, Marike, is that we are also sort of a dialogue office, meaning that we are bringing people to the U.S., but also American American staffers, for example, for policymakers, policy advisors, etc., to Europe or Germany. It doesn't need to be Germany-focused, really, um, especially with my program. I know that my predecessor did trips to Ukraine, for example, and Turkey. So sort of um, opening up these channels, um, connecting people to each other that we think should be talking to each other is I think one of the main um, goals that we also have as an office. And I, I think um, we are also a, a sort of a, a special kind of um, 
organization in the sense that we, like Marike mentioned, we are government funded. We, we get our money from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and from the Ministry of Development. And um, that gives us a lot of freedom because a lot of the think tanks in town that do partly similar work. So I would say we are a think and a do tank. We are not just you know, publishing and, um, you know, honing our own expertise. We're doing more than that. Um, but a lot of the think tanks have to do their own fundraising. And so for us, this is a, actually a great thing that we get to, um, you know, um, decide what, what projects we want to work on. Um, is exactly in the issues that um, Mareike mentioned, very much human rights focus, very much um, um, also, um, strengthening civil society actors, bringing people to the table that otherwise wouldn't be at the table. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the things we do. Nice, nice. And indeed, as you're saying, that you're a bit in this, if I may, privileged position or the think tank or the think do tank is, is in this position. Because even if I analyze the previous episodes on this podcast, and I feel like we talked a lot, I talked a lot to politicians or people who work more in institutions or vice versa to very grassroots civil society activists. And like, I feel like there was a gap between the two because ones are calling for actions, others are explaining what they do, but of course, with a lot of things that are not working or a lot of things that should have been improving. So you are in this kind of middle spot between the two that your job is bringing all of them together and actually making it work. Also myself being part of one of the fellowships that you organize, but we might get to it a bit later on. Um, it was, yeah, I, I could really see the impact of the things that you do. And it's it's just nice that such organizations do exist out there. It also gives, gives the hope a bit for us. And speaking of the hope, um, what are the current issues that you try to focus on, talk about, advocate for within the framework of climate gender security, if possible as well? <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I think the first program I would like to highlight is one that just concluded, but we hope there will be more follow-ups. Um, it was a um, collaboration together with some other um, transatlantic think tanks here in um, in DC, so with the German Marshall Fund and E3G. Um, and together we organized a um, green reconstruction of Ukraine um, conference in which we brought over mayors from the Ukraine, but also uh, various civil society people who have been working much longer on pushing um, renewable energy, um, on doing that in a way that is responsive to um, environmental justice concerns, to the general um, yeah, social structures um, and, and, and maybe pre-existing power relations as well. And so we brought them over to the U.S. to meet with um, counterparts, but also to meet um, possibly with um, people who could who could fund part of the uh, reconstruction and rebuilding uh, in, a, in a greener sense. Um, and what really struck out to me or stuck out to me there was just how interconnected um, security and climate was in every single thing they said. So uh, for them to have solar installations on uh, on their uh, on the on the roofs in their city really expressly was not just a climate change concern, but very much also one of security, of energy independence. Um, and that was, um, yeah, super interesting to see just how. Um, yeah, unsiloed essentially their their discourse and and the way they presented um, 
their needs is. Um, I think one other project that I, yeah, I, I love to talk about in general um, is our Grow the Future um, project, which is essentially a uh, endeavor in which we seek to bring underrepresented voices into transatlantic discourse. Um, we started this a couple of years ago. Um, in the office um, with the idea of we want to bring younger people, women specifically, LGBTQIA plus communities into this transatlantic discourse because too often it's old gray white men in suits. Um, and so we bring over a group from Germany every year to meet with their counterparts on a climate and topic. So it's been um, climate and migration in the first year, um, uh, smart and sustainable mobility. And then this year it was on coalition building for a just green transition. Um, and so we brought in um, people who were working in the um, trade union uh, sector, as well as environmental justice activists, politicians, um, scientists to meet with counterparts here and see how coalition building uh, for a Green New Deal, for the Inflation Reduction Act has been working here. And we're really impressed to see just how much community action uh, is going on, always informed uh, in the end by the concerns of people in these local communities and tackling issues like environmental justice, environmental racism, um, and the gender dimensions of climate just becomes a lot easier when it's more personal and you're talking to your neighbor about it. And so this was definitely something that um, I, I, I think, I hope many of them brought home and will be working on a lot over the next year too. Nice. I also love the interconnection with the idea why I started this podcast as well. It was sort of as well to connect different voices and to bring underrepresented, but also more usually unknown voices to the to the area and also to kind of connect and bring some personal stories. That's why I also wanted to start with your stories, because I feel like there is there can be a lot of power behind the, the personal stories and like the touch and emotions that they bring and then hopefully push you to do more and do more actions once you go back to your professional life. Teresa, can you tell me which projects and topics you work on and are passionate about? Of course. Um, yeah, so I, I think I before I go into certain projects, um, I might just briefly sort of um, explain how I see the conversations going on here in DC and on foreign policy. I think, you know, one thing that a lot of our visitors also observe how very much hard security focused a lot of the conversations, decisions and policies are. Um, and what I'm trying to do with my program is to break that up and sort of broaden our definition of what security actually means and that it's not just about military security and border security, but um, it is essentially and it should be about human security, which is at the heart of it. Um, and so that sort of always sort of swings in the back of any, any project that I'm doing, I would say. And one of them is um, the, the projects that I'm leading on feminist foreign policy, um, where you were part of um, uh, the fellowship last year, Sophia. And um, we are also trying to, again, infuse the debates here um, while the U.S. doesn't have a feminist foreign policy, I think it is important to bring these issues up over and over again. And I even see, you know, like, for example, with the backlash on gender rights, human rights um, and um, women's rights, reproductive rights, 
that there is actually a big need in this um, country to talk about this. Um, and so I, it was actually surprising, positively surprising for me to see how responsive our American counterparts, our um, policymakers were when we, we approached them and saying like, you know, we want to talk with you about feminist foreign policy. Now, um, I think there is a, still a, a, a lot of confusion about what this actually means in practice. So this is also one of the goals of my program is to really explain how, how you know, what, when we talk about a feminist foreign policy, not to go too much into the theoretical debates, but to sort of um, make clear that, you know, until women um, and minorities have a seat at the table and not just a seat at the table, but actually be heard and their perspectives and their experience are taken into account and they, they are the decision makers too, until then we won't have a just fair foreign policy. And um, I think we tragically see it around the world how, you know, male authoritarians are the disruptors are the ones who are, you know, starting the wars, the conflicts, etc. And, you know, I think people, for example, in the case of the Middle East right now, you know, some people may ask themselves, well, you know, why, you know, this is like all, you know, hippie talk, wishy-washy peace talk when you talk about feminist foreign policy. But I would argue this is the exact moment when we have to talk about this because, you know, again, the loss of civilian lives human security at the core, um, you know, this is basically the time to make the argument for a feminist foreign policy. And so we've been trying to do this through um, study tours, um, but also through, um, you know, different products that we put out um, and sort of, um, yeah, trying to bring these issues up whenever um, we are also, you know, at meetings, etc. So that is one uh, big pillar, I would say, of my program. Um, and then the other one is, um, you know, also slightly obviously connected to that. And um, Sophia, you being from Ukraine, I think um, you make the very good case about um, why, you know, Ukraine also needs to look at issues of gender and um, why feminist foreign policy also um, is very relevant in that context. Um, so the other, the other big um, issue that I'm covering, obviously, is the war in Ukraine and how Europe responds or how the U.S. responds. And I think, you know, my big fear and that this is what I'm trying to communicate to a lot of our visitors is that Europe is not really prepared for um, U.S. support to um, subside or decline. Um, and um Yes, uh, the Europeans are very concerned. You know, they come here and they ask questions. Well, what is going to happen when Trump is in office? And, you know, you hear sort of different versions of it saying like, well, OK, we know what who we're dealing with. So now we can prepare. I'm not sure if that's really true because Trump has plans for his second um, uh, uh, administration that are going much further than the first one where he just didn't expect to be in office. Um, so I think those are all things um, that we need to prepare for as much as we can, meaning that we also have to prepare for the worst case scenario. And so I'm also a little bit uh, worried about, you know, especially with the war in Ukraine going on for so long that the attention will move away 
um, to other crises and conflicts. Um, and that in the grand scheme of things, you know, a lot of Republican policymakers will say, well, you know, Ukraine is not our, in our it's not in our national interest to, you know, defend you or help Ukraine at all costs. So, um, and there are other um, problems. And again, one thing to keep in mind is also the U.S. is still very much inward looking and dealing with internal domestic turmoil. Um, so I think we, this sort of bipartisan foreign policy consensus that existed for the longest time in Congress is sort of coming apart and you see it bit by bit. And um, you will hear voices that say, well, you know, it's not that bad. Americans support NATO, et cetera. But, you know, in the end, it comes down to are there going to be, is there going to be more um, aid for Ukraine? Is there, are there going to be more packages coming from Congress? Yes or no. And um, I think that will also be a very deciding factor for how how this all sort of evolves in Ukraine and, and with Russia. So, um, yeah, that's also something that I'm thinking quite a bit about and very concerned, obviously. Thank you. You all mentioned a lot of things, I feel like. Um, I feel like I, I had a follow-up question on that, on uh, coming back a bit to your work and all the programs and fellowships and studies you were mentioning. Like, there are a lot of crises happening and there will be many more happening. And despite the fact that they are also very worrisome at the personal level, of course, and uh, yeah, we, we all can relate to that. How do you prioritize it within your organization? Like, how do you choose? And you both spoke a lot about Ukraine. I also do not want to make it too much about Ukraine either. And But like maybe kind of talk about other regions or other topics as well. And hearing from you, like, yeah, indeed. How, how do you choose? How do you prioritize the topics? And also that the podcast is on climate, gender, security. And we, of course, know that it's all mainstreamed in a way. But also, how do you deal and you said you are the biggest office but I assume your resources are anyhow limited so you need to choose and you need to decide on when and to what extent you can help and when do you need to stop maybe looking at the topic and switch to something else and uh, yeah maybe on this. Yeah um, that's a really good question and I feel that is something that we are continuously wishing we had more time for. <laughs> um I feel really grateful that our team generally, but our office director as well, is very um, reflective on that, on recentering and rebalancing and, and thinking about, okay, is the work we're still doing, the programs that we're doing, is that still in line with um, the goals and the values that we, we want to infuse, infuse into uh, the discourse where we really want to make a difference? Um, so I said we're the biggest international or one of the biggest international offices that still means we're 10 full-time staff so it's not many people so absolutely it's still a big question of where do you put limited resources um i think for me a central question to ask is um especially if you're looking at dc think tank land where there's so many specialists on everything um is to really make sure that in any space we are we try to bring in um, or be the connector of, of issues, essentially, if you are in a very environment heavy kind of think tank scene where um, the thinking is purely on the environment, on technical issues to always bring in, okay, but what does that mean 
uh, through a human rights, through a gendered lens. Um, so to always challenge um, essentially the, the, the room you're in to think a little bit further. And that can sometimes be an uncomfortable position. Um, and I think secondly, to also make sure that yes, we as program directors can do this work, but often there are people who are much better equipped, who have uh, lived experiences. And so to always think, okay, does it make sense for me to be talking or does it make more sense for me to um, yeah, provide someone else with that platform? So yeah, I, I, I think these are the two main things I try to think about when um, yeah, deciding where to put resources, but it is an ongoing struggle. Um, absolutely. You, you always wish you could do more. Um, yeah. Teresa, what about you? Um, yeah, I guess, um, that's something that I have struggled with from the very beginning in this job is sort of, you know, foreign policy and security policy, um, issues are everywhere around the world. Um, the good thing is that we have so many offices in different parts of the world. So sometimes I feel like I don't need to, you know, duplicate something that's already going on in the region anyway. So I, I would say for me, um, um, the core of my program is very much the transatlantic relationship, um, the connections between Europeans and Americans. But we also increasingly try to bring in voices from the global south because, um, you know, especially, you know, for example, I had a study tour um, on um basically bringing in chinese experts from global south countries to observe what the you know us debates look like on china right now or the transatlantic debates and and also not just observe but basically giving them a platform to you know explain what you know what it looks like from their vantage point and i i find that super valuable because i mean it's kind of surprising to me to see but these things don't go on all that much you know it's usually the same people talk to each other over and over again but um you know uh most of the people had never been to the u.s that we brought and i was like well you know it has huge implications um what you know how the u.s um, china competition evolves for their countries and um you know so also um again making sure that you bring something additional to what's already going on in DC is always helpful. So for us, I think, again, we are a convener. We have the liberty and opportunity to bring in these voices that otherwise would not be here. Um, and then, of course, you have to you know, focus on on some of the major topics and, you know, China is the topic of the hour. I'm always surprised how little actually, and I learned this the, the, the long, the, the hard way, I guess I was, when I first moved to DC, you know, I was like expecting there to be a lot of talk about transatlantic relations and it actually wasn't the case at all. I think it has partly changed a little bit, obviously with um, Russia's war in Ukraine but again, the sort of um, understanding of uh, EU policies or uh, also domestically speaking, what's going on in certain European countries is very limited. And I think this is also, a, you know, a, a, th a thing, you know, a, sort of a, an issue area where we can sort of jump in again as a translator to translate, hey, you know, conversations, for example, about um 
Israel and Gaza in Germany are very different right now than there are here in the U.S. and vice, you know, and so translating both ways, I think this is also one of, again, um, ways we are trying to do our work. But it's very, very hard to, um, you know, limit your priorities. Um, and essentially, we are only one person per program. So um, we also depend a lot on our partners. So a way to do that is, you know, to really also um, outsource some of that and make sure that um, others have the opportunity to be there. Interesting. I, I love how you talk about engagements. And I feel like this is also one of the topics I'm quite passionate about in my professional life is about this type of meaningful engagements, like to what extent it is you who needs to speak, as you Marike mentioned, and to what extent you need to give the platform. And then how do you give that platform in a way that it actually has a change and has a difference? And it's not only about like calling people out there somewhere, having an interview and then thank you, bye. And you insert a quote in the report and you're like engaged, but you actually make an effort, bring people to the U.S. I mean, for me, it was also the first time when I came for a fellowship, when I came to the U.S. and also for someone who has been working on transatlantic relations for a few years already. I could see that and I could say that it's very different when you come to the country and you actually engage with it from within and you start talking to people from within. It feels and it is very, very different no matter how much you study and how much you have been talking about this. So I think there is a huge burden on you to kind of <laughs> have that dialogue running and then convene the conversation, make sure that people understand each other because sometimes we might be talking about the same thing but using different words and different languages and uh, we all mean good but sometimes it doesn't end up into where you would want to be well thank you both for sharing your insights um i feel like my kind of content type of related questions are coming to an end uh, but before that i would want to because i kind of love to to leave the listeners with this call for action or some sort of recommendations on how everyone can do part of what we do and um yeah i mean partially that was your stories that you could some of the listeners could become and be where you are as well if they do what what they keep doing on so it kind of brings the hope that there are good organizations out there and you can find something that might align with your values but also from our everyday life, is there something that you want to leave a message for, a call for action, any recommendation you would give? Teresa, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I think for me, I, I get the most out of seeing when people connect and um, are, you know, engaging with each other and sort of bringing the different stakeholders different perspectives views into one room that's where i get the most out of it um and also you know I, I i still think back to last year when we did the feminist foreign policy study tour um i hope that you know this was sort of just the start of being connected with others around the world so our hope is always that this is these are not just one-off um delegations or study tours um, and visits, but that this is sort of the start of something much broader. And um, 
yeah, um, that that leaves me very hopeful because you know it can get pretty depressing when you work on all these conflicts, wars, issues, problems. Um, also, the you know big concern of mine is sort of the decrease in uh, in trust in institutions, in the media, in sort of like, and, and I think we have to go back to, you know, on a very basic level to connect people to people. I think this, this is where it starts and um, we have to build that up again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that tone of hope, um, Teresa, and I think I definitely share that um, one of the most inspiring things about being in the U.S. living here is to see how incredibly involved people get in their communities. Partly, to be honest, that is because <laughs> there's not enough happening at a, a governmental level on, on many issues. But um, traveling through the country, talking to especially local partners outside of the kind of um, DC bubble has been so inspiring in seeing what kind of incredibly difficult conversations and topics they are bringing up to their neighbors, talking about, and uh, through this kind of shared experience of, hey, we both live next to this polluting factory, for instance, what does that mean for environmental justice, for human security? Um, what could we possibly do about it? And connecting very different interests, very different people in that sense has been super inspiring. And I think this is one of the main things I a, want to um, show to any kind of visitor coming from outside the U.S. just how much there is happening on a local and on a human level um, and to really encourage people to, hey, get out there, talk to your neighbors, uh, go into these conversations focusing on your neighbor as a person and then you'd be you know, surprised how many things you do have in common or um, interests that you, you, you can work towards together. Um, so this, I think, mainly has been very inspiring to me and just very, very uplifting to see some hopeful news coming um, out of the U.S. as well on, on environment, on climate, on general democracy work, um, essentially. Um, secondly, I will shamelessly plug the work of one of our colleagues, Liane Shalatek. She has been working in our office since, I think, 1999. She's been here a while and she is doing amazing work on bringing gender as a, um, as, a, as a perspective and as an issue into the international climate discourse. So she has been working very closely with developing countries, with civil society, particularly in time and time again saying uh, we need a human rights approach too. We need to take into account uh, the different lived experiences um, that people have into the climate discourse and then particularly into climate finance and making sure that um, the strongest shoulders bear the heaviest burdens and that those most affected by climate change aren't just taken into account by the people at the top, but really actually have agency and saying, hey, uh, this is what we can do. This is what we need um, and really shaping the policy response that will hit them. Um, so for instance, Liana wrote about this, uh, the gender and climate finance fundamentals. So definitely worth checking out. Thank you. Thank you both. I also love how 
Both of you work on such a global topics, I mean, foreign policy, international relations, and also climate. It might seem disconnected from some people who just live their lives on a daily basis and are not actively professionally engaged on the topics. But I also love how throughout our conversation, you kind of connected it back to personal and show that there is a way how you can be part of it. There is a way how you can contribute and actually be part of the change. Um, and yeah, I mean, either it is from going out of your bubble and talking to your neighbors or in general people you would never think you would engage with, um, or maybe having a bit more meaningful engagement through, I don't know, engaging in some political parties, going, joining the movements in, in your community. And indeed it all starts at the, at the grassroots level and then it hopefully spills over. Um, I will include all the sources that you mentioned and feel free to send me more so you, the listeners, can check in the description some of the materials that we will prepare as well for them to read more if they're interested and also to connect to both of the speakers. Thank you both, uh, Teresa and Marike. It was nice having you. Thank you so much for having us. This was great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, we'll be sure to send you some resources, particularly also Teresa's amazing video on feminist foreign policy, which I know is coming out soon or has come out, Teresa? Yes. Yeah. It hasn't come out yet, but stay tuned for a very creative, artistic video on uh, what a feminist foreign policy is. Cannot wait. <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> Sophia. That was it for this episode. Now we would love to hear from you. Let us know who should be our next guest. Maybe it's you? To get engaged, go to our website, buona.international, where you will find a box to share with us your ideas and requests regarding next episodes. Also, subscribe to our monthly newsletter and follow us on social media. Talk soon! Talk soon!